It's Church of the Corn with Zach Santi, Alex Drake, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone, 1620thezone.com, and The Zone app. Now here are your hosts, Zach, Alex, and Fitz. Welcome to the Church of the Corn, folks, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. I've got Zach and Drake here. We don't have Fitz today. He's got to do something else. He's doing his fatherly. I I don't know what it's like to be a father. Uh, is soccer make? Do you have to do soccer stuff when you're a father? I I, I feel like it's either soccer or uh, baseball. It's one of the two. I feel like it's a requirement once you have a kid. Wow. I don't know. I don't have kids. I've just got two giant Great Danes. So what do they do for fun? My Great Danes. Yeah. Uh, sleep and kick holes in my walls. Oh, I figured you'd like have them in extreme dog racing or something uh no no they just they just put holes in everything and destroy things um that was you with your rage no i kick a hole in the wall every once in a while but it's just when things don't go well for me you know like a real adult (laughs) um very mature we are on (laughs) church of the corn uh anyway let's you know let's do a little bit of a rundown of what we got going on today uh we'll do some big stories in the beginning i think or I don't know if someone might hijack that. Uh, then we've got the big scripture with the Indiana Hoosiers. We are going to do Penn State this week. We didn't get to it last week. Unless we get another caller. Yeah, I mean, unless chaos takes over again, that's we can do that. Um, we'll do some big storylines at fall camp. Um, we're going to break down our top four coaches um, on the staff. New hires, existing hires, so or existing coaches on the staff. Uh, we got recruiting with Brian Munson, and then we are going to help you guys make a little bit of money at the end of the night, or at the end of the morning. It is not night at all. So, um, let's go with big stories. Do you want to... Uh, let's start with the Tatus story. Okay. I, I didn't know if you were going to hijack things or... Uh, I I have a sports-related story I want to share. I was going to share on Sharp and Bidding this week. We just didn't get a chance to. It is a, a great story to talk about the great people of Omaha. But, uh, yeah, let's start with the Tatis ordeal. Uh, suspended 80 games without pay for performance-enhancing drugs, which he claims has to do with a case of the ringworm. What are your thoughts on this, Zach? Um, yeah, because he's, he's a uh, big, I guess, star for MLB, I, I, one, of the, one of the faces of MLB, so I think it's a huge loss for not only him because it's a bit of the tarnished legacy syndrome, but... Um, yeah, I think it's another hit for MLB. It it sucks to see. Um, as but, a fan, do you feel like guys like Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, their legacy is tarnished by fans or just from baseball as an organization? Uh, you know, I feel like it's maybe more baseball as an organization. I don't feel like fans care so much so unless you're the older cloth. I don't think you really care. I mean. We've seen what they've done. I mean, we've seen what these players did. Yeah. Which, I, by the way, I, I've been very vocal about this. I am pro-steroids in baseball. Oh, as yeah. long as you're not trying to bean people in the face. It's a non-contact sport for the most part. I'm completely fine with getting juiced to the gills and hitting 100 home runs. Yeah. I don't and, care. And it's tor- it's almost completely a non-contact sport after a couple of brutal collisions at the plate um, in the early 2010s. I... I'm torn on this one. I I understand the suspension because it's in the rules. Uh, 
I don't know if I'm buying the the ringworm medication story. Um, there's been several guys from all the way down from minor leagues up to the majors who have made similar claims about this stuff, whether it's some sort of ointment they've used or some sort of workout supplement. Um, hey, let's let's pretend this is true. You took this medication for ringworm. Why didn't you run it by the team doctors? Yeah, um, it that's a great question. I've seen a lo- I've seen a lot of athletes getting popped on different things, and and the, it looks like the steroid that it was was close to ball, I believe. Um, Is that what you use? No, no, I use the good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, it's. It's tough because not everything is on some of these labels, depending what you're getting. Uh, for ringworm, that that's pretty common. So, I anything over the counter could fix it. So that's that's kind of where I'm running into that. It, it, it maybe there's something else there. Uh, yeah, I that that and that's kind of what I'm getting at. I just don't totally buy it. Um, Fernando Tatis is one of the young up and coming stars. Is a great player. Uh, plays for my one of my hated rivals, the San Diego Padres, as I am a Giants fan, and they just went crazy at the trade de- trade deadline. I feel bad for him as a player. I actually love watching him, but I do not feel bad for the organization one bit. Um, plus, I just the Padres can't beat the Dodgers, and I don't know that they could beat the Braves. So you are now spending all that money for second to fourth place in the NL, which, you know what? Great. You haven't been there for a while. You're, you're competing. I actually, I think it's better for baseball when, when you have some pretty good divisions. So uh, I think their, their uptick the last couple of years has made the West, the NL West a little bit more fun to watch. Um, But I do love watching them fail at the end of the season because they have just anointed themselves as the second best team in all of the National League for no reason because they the proof is in the pudding, my friends, and they've done nothing. Well, I kind of wanted to do a little spinoff on this story, and and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I, PEDs in sports. Like, I guess what are your thoughts on it? Because me personally, unless it's a contact sport such as an MMA, a boxing, football, I'm torn on football. But some of those, you know, contact-driven sports where you can definitely cause more injury, well, I'm out on those. But, hey, baseball, I'm good with juice into the gills. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To me, it depends. I'm a fan at the end of the day. I want to see the long ball. A- absolutely. And, you know, MLB's baseballs are juiced. If you haven't heard that, welcome, welcome to reality in year 2022. They are juiced. They come off the bat a little bit harder. Adding steroids to me would make it a little bit more fun. I think we should unjuice the baseballs because I'm tired of watching a game on TV and hearing a ball get pounded for a lazy fly ball. I can't tell if it's hit hard or not anymore. Um, to me, the PED discussion needs to be more separated into boxes because performance-enhancing drugs is – such a vague description. You have performance-enhancing drugs from steroids that make you bigger, faster, stronger, all the way to other things that just help you recover faster. From EPO to 
A50s to Dynamo. Yeah, they all serve different purposes. Absolutely. And for athletes in general, I the performance-enhancing drugs that help you recover and stay healthy should absolutely never be banned. Um, for the most part, you, you would know this better than me. Um, most of them aren't detrimental to your body long-term anyways, is my understanding, on the ones that help you maintain your health, recover faster. Um, and I'm not talking about blood doping that gives you an extreme advantage like in bike racing. So those I am totally for in just about every sport. But if you have a golfer or somebody who does shot put or track, non-contact sports, baseball, and they want to juice to get bigger, faster, stronger, I am all for it. You know, I'm a huge baseball guy. I know not everybody is. Um, you know, for whatever reason, it takes too long. You think it's boring, but I do remember growing up during the home run race of Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, and we all know they were both juiced. And Sammy might have got caught using a cork bat once or twice. So I'm for it. I in baseball, track, shot put, golf. If you want to juice up so you can hit the ball, throw the ball, run faster, I'm all about it. It has the juice. It has the juice. The juice is loose. Um, juice is on the loose. I'm still mad at Ford for never reaching out to OJ on that. They missed a great marketing campaign when they brought back the Bronco. Just the, the solid white Bronco? Yeah. Juice is on the loose. Limited edition. There's got to be something out there with that. I, I would I, There's got to be. We're not the only ones that have thought about that. We are not that smart. Yeah, but I think we might be the only ones willing to put it on the Bronco. If he signs it, that'd be great. Um, I don't need him to sign it. I'll I'll print off a decal myself and throw it on there. I glad I I want him to sign. It. I want him. To take I feel a like you should put it on your ram anyways. Put put a fat head of him on. Absolutely <laughs> on the door. Once I ju- set the tailgate says juice is on the loose and the hood says the glove don't fit must have quit. I don't I don't want that on my truck. <laughs> that sounds terrible. People are going to start calling wellness checks on your wife. Okay, okay. We've gone too far to this. Let's let's swerve back to the middle. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when I was on Sharp and Bending this week with uh, Jimmy, NC State came up, and I just dropped a quick little tidbit. Uh, fun story about NC State, blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you later. We just never got, got a chance to get back to it. Um, in 2021... When I was in the middle of changing jobs at my company, I just was switching teams. My 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 current boss and her boyfriend, they throw a tailgate at the College World Series every year. NC State's there at the College World Series. It is the Monday or Tuesday after the opening weekend. They're having their tailgate, and uh, this family kind of stumbles into the tailgate, and they, they start hitting it off, and they all become, they're, you know, chatting and having a good time. The family's in a bind. They had only booked the hotel room through whatever day that was. And they were either going to the airport to fly back to North Carolina because, or they were going to find somewhere to stay, but they couldn't find a hotel room anyways. My boss and her boyfriend put the family, the player's girlfriend, all up in their house. And if I remember right, and I might butcher this, I believe the grandparents flew in and stayed with them too. Oh, wow. These people have become such good friends 
in March or April, like right before regionals started. Um, so closer to May, end of April, probably. My boss and her boyfriend, they flew out there to visit them, watch a couple of games. Um, and we were all at an event last night. And the player had just signed an NIL deal and texted them uh, to pre-order his shirts. So I, there's so many more stories like that, especially built around the College World Series. I remember with my dad growing up, going to Rosenblatt, we met the same guy from LSU every year at Zestos. Um, every year until he couldn't come up anymore. And I feel like we hear so much, especially on the fan side in the media, about fights in the stadium or, you know, berating players. And Araldus Chapman just last week splashed water on a, on a fan and his dad. I think we need more of this stuff. I, I'm To this day, I'm still surprised that this was not publicized in any way. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It seems like that'd be a good story that somebody will run want to run with, but nobody really did. Yeah. So, if you have any great fan stories like this, please give us a call today nine five one sixteen twenty. We'd love to hear from you guys. One real quick story before we go to break. Thoughts on Zach Wilson? Sounds like he did not tear his ACL. There's a, there well, there's a possibility he did not. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about him and. His other internet sensations. He got that dog in him. Um, does it really matter if he tore his ACL in New York? I mean, I feel like they could be a team that's a lot better. Four than and they eight. Were. I mean, I I or, feel like they, sorry, four and four and twelve. No, I think they're going to be because remember, seventeen games this year. Um, I think they're going to be around five hundred this year. I I, I think they're going to take a big step forward if he's healthy. Is Adam Gates still the head coach? No, it's Robert Sala. Okay. He's a pretty good coach. They just... I don't see any talent on the roster that can change them for what, from what they've been to 500. I mean, they've, they've made some additions, but I'm not... I mean, I don't feel like they were that far off with a rookie quarterback. Who's Zach Wilson throwing the ball to this year? Name his top three receivers. No. Okay. Point proven. Conrad, <laughs> where do you stand on this debate? I don't watch football. Oh, geez. I, I'm basketball and hockey, man. Who's your basketball team? Celtics. Oh, man. How do you feel, as a fellow Celtics fan, how do you feel about the annual we're going to trade Jalen Brown discussion? Dude, I'm so over that. Like we're not, we're not getting rid of JB. We're not getting rid of JT. Okay. Next question: What is the missing piece for that team to get them over the hump? I I was very impressed with the second half of the season. No way they should have made the finals. But what's the missing piece? I think it's a three and D off the bench. Honestly, like I mean, like we have Grant off the bench, but if we could get either another playmaker or a playmaker that can that can three and D, I think we'd be good. Okay. Because uh, Derek White was good, but like only in the playoffs, yeah, and like, like every other game. Uh, most of his tenure in Boston has been pretty rough. For me, it it's it's point guard or a truly dominant big. You can't keep Robert Williams healthy, and both of our bigs are small. Him and Horford are both yeah. relatively small for the league. Um, if you know, I would love for us to find a way to get Scary Terry back. 
That'd be so great. He hasn't been great in Charlotte. I feel like it wouldn't be hard to get him back, and he kind of gelled with that young core that they still have. I think that'd be great. Would he come off the bench, though? I would start him. Who would you start at point guard? Smart. No, Smart needs to come off the bench. Or run the two. You go small ball. You go You go Terry at the one, okay. Smart at the two, Jalen at the three, Tatum at the four, and Horford Rob, or Rob, Rob at, at the five. All right, I can see it. I, I mean, that's basically what they ran when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals with LeBron, against LeBron in Cleveland. Yeah, that's true. So that's what I would like to see personally. Um, All right, nerds. <laughs> We're going to go to a quick break here. When we return, we'll return that other with, drop? <laughs> with the big scripture here on 1620 The Zone. Now back to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn, brought to you by FCC Trucking on 1620 The Zone. Gather round. Let's do our big scripture breakdown. Mm, about. Hell. God, those drafts are amazing. About the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, they do have a football program still, not just basketball. So, Drake, I've got a question for you. And I don't think you're going to have the answer. What is Indiana? Are they the 2-10 and 10 team that we seen last year? Or are they closer to the 8-5, and five, and I'll say slash, 6-2 and two COVID season team? Seems like every time something strange happens, Indiana hits big. And by big, I mean eight and five. Yeah. Um, I think they're somewhere in the middle of six and two and eight and five. I don't think they're, they're close. They're a lot closer to that than two and ten. Um, I think a lot of things just went wrong last year at the wrong time, similar to Nebraska, but for them, it just got really bad when it got bad. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, it 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 was. It seemed like they couldn't catch a break. I mean, we we've heard that around here. Yeah, they're we just we just need luck, or we just need this, or we need this to happen. And sometimes, it's like sometimes, you got to break. You got to make your own luck happen. Um, and I think. I do think they're closer to the two and ten than the eight and five. Okay, so I'm running down their schedule. And this is why this team for me is so hard to pinpoint who they are. Mm-hmm. Um they don't have a long track record like Purdue of, you know, randomly beating who they shouldn't and then losing to who they shouldn't. Like they don't have that kind of track record. But I'm looking at last year, you know, they they opened the season believe that's the first game of the season they lose to iowa 34 to 6 then they go blow the doors off of idaho they play cincinnati pretty tough end up losing by 14 beat western kentucky by two then they get shut out by penn state then they lose to michigan state by five and they get blown out by ohio state close game against maryland um and then the rest of the season is pretty bad so, you know, I think last year was everything went wrong at the right right at everything went wrong at the right time for for that to happen. I think Tom Allen is a an above average coach. I don't think he's a great coach by any means. Um, but 
he he can make them a a uh, consistent bowl team. And I think that's really all you want at Indiana. So I I'm going I'm going out here. I'm going to say they are six and six, seven and five is kind of their ceiling. But I also think three and nine is their f- absolute floor. It it's just going to be an interesting. They got they got a pretty decent schedule this year. They open up at home against Idaho. Then they have Western Kentucky. They go they go to Cincinnati. That's probably a loss. They come to Lincoln. That better be a loss. They have Michigan. Better be a loss. I think they can get Maryland. I think they can get Rutgers. Penn State, depending on what happens there, they'll get, you know, the door is beaten off against Ohio State. I truly don't know what to expect from Michigan State this year. They lost a lot. They brought a lot in again. I don't know that you can catch lightning in a bottle twice. I think Michigan State is ripe for a very down year. And then... You know, they end this season with Purdue. And who knows what's going on with Purdue at that point in the season. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be really wrong about Purdue because I think I had them going 4-8, and eight, and I feel like they might go 9-3 and three at some point. And, and, I mean, we talked about Nebraska season last year, you know, how thin the margins are from them going 3-9 and nine to 9-3 nine and three or anything in between. Purdue is that same way, but every year. Yeah, yeah, they're they're very uh, boomer bust. Yeah, so you know, reading outlooks for for Indiana this year, obviously nothing really worked last year. Last in the Big Ten in total offense, averaging fewer than three hundred yards and eighteen points per game. Indiana had four touchdown passes across nine Big Ten games. Um, Allen dismissed offensive coordinator Nick Sheridan, replacing him with Walt Belt who earned a solid reputation as a play caller at Maryland and Florida State before three tough seasons at UMass. Well, one big thing that I think we're overlooking, too, is the loss and of, of the starting quarterback, although he's coming off torn ACL, is Michael Penix Jr. going to Washington. Now, they've got Tuttle behind him, and then they've got the transfer from Missouri, I believe, in Blazelick, or Blazelack. I, I can't pronounce his name because I'm dumb, but... Um, you lose an experienced guy who was mobile two years ago, you know, when they had their, that really good year. Um, do you think that they can rebound from that, that loss? Cause I, I feel like that's, that's a team leader. I do. I do actually. Um, you know, yes, they lost their starting quarterback who has had a decent career there, but you bring in Missouri transfer, Connor, Connor, Bazalik, or however you pronounce it. Yeah, um, not a dumb one. He performed well as as a starter in the SEC for two years. I mean, not not elite by any means. Twenty three to seventeen touchdown interception ratio. Uh, his uh, it it says right here. So I'm I'm not breaking anything earth shattering. But if offensive coordinator Bell believes mobility is more important than either Dexter Williams II or Donovan McCauley, uh, who may move to receiver, one of those two guys will get the call, but if they want to throw the ball, it's going to be Basilek and McCauley could move to receiver. Would They have athletes there. Um, yeah, I, I really think that they're going to be in the 6-6 six and six range. I don't think they're they're that bad of a team. Um, you know, we can go back to 
Scott Frost's first team at UCF. They went, you know, six and seven after the bowl game. The year before, they went 0 and 12. And I don't think this gets enough talk about what happened at UCF. That team historically had been relatively good. They had a couple of 10 win seasons in the four years before that. The cupboards weren't bare, but the year before he got there, everybody got hurt. The coach was dismissed like four games into the season or something. Oh, there you go. There are times in college sports where these kids where negativity just snowballs more than positivity, and it affects an entire locker room. I think that's more of what happened at Indiana last year than anything. Um, With the transfer portal and guys leaving and going, you, it's a lot harder today to pinpoint teams. Um, so you're betting on coaches more than anything. I think Tom Allen is a a strong enough coach to keep them bowl eligible more often than not. Yeah, um, I think Tom Allen got the chance to hit the the nuclear button this uh, this last off season to replace offense and defense of coordinators. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see kind of that meshing of, of what they can do this season to see if if that mesh can happen quick enough tom allen is a defensive guy right yes i believe so he was the defensive coordinator i believe before right he had been a dc at other places too yep he's more experienced on that side of the ball i don't know if i'm too concerned about who the defensive coordinator is down there because i think tom allen's going to call the defense yeah no i'm not super i mean they were terrible last year but um i wasn't wasn't putting that as a as a concern because I feel like that's a side that, as we've seen up in Lincoln, can improve a lot faster than the offensive side of the ball. So if there's any def- if, if there's any improvement to be made, I believe it's going to be on that side of the ball. So Here, here's another thing. Um, obviously, none of their four top running backs return, but they combined for only a thousand yards last year. Transfers: Sean Shivers from Auburn and Josh Henderson from North Carolina. Saw an opportunity to play immediately. Neither ran for 90 yards last season. I don't think they're too concerned about running the ball, but North Carolina and Auburn in recent years have been far stronger programs than Indiana. I think anybody on that roster is probably an upgrade from who you lost if you had four guys combined for just over 1,000 yards. I, I Yeah, I, I just can't get on the, the hey, we went 2-10 and ten one time under Tom Allen, and that's probably who we really are. It, and I don't think Michigan State's who they were last year either. I think Mel Tucker has done a great job of being very in and out and not taking the time to show where he lacks. You know, he had a run, what was he, at Colorado one season, two seasons? I think it was two seasons. Yeah, and put together two pretty good seasons there and was gone uh year one COVID year at Michigan State was tough for everybody in the country I don't hold that year against him and last year he had he had a really good year but again lightning in a bottle you get a guy like um I can't think of his name off the top of my head the running back Kenneth Walker yeah Kenneth you get a guy like Kenneth Walker who can kind of carry that team um I think Michigan State's going to be an improved defensive team I I think most teams in the Big Ten are going to focus on defense a little bit more uh, as we try and catch the Michigans and Ohio States, which, you know, you saw a huge thing this offseason for Nebraska. I Again, I, I, I we've talked about it at nauseum, and I, I can only hit this dead horse so many times, but I, I they're 6-6, six 7-5 six, range for me. 
Excellent. When we return, we've got part two of the big scriptures with the Penn State Nittany Lions here on 1620 The Zone. You're listening to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. And we are back with part two of the big scripture brought to you by Rocky Stone and Design and FCC Trucking, Church of the Corn. Let's talk about our guys at uh, Penn State, the Nittany Lions. I don't know what the best part is. We finally have some drops or that they all come from the same interview of a little kid. A little hey, kid hey. eating corn. They're now coming from there. <laughs> Give me like a week or two. We'll get more. Oh, this is amazing. I'll throw some variety in there. I, I just I think this one interview is just loaded with some of the greatest drops. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a little kid eating corn. We might have to find a way to to tweet out the whole video so people get it now. I'm sure I we can. imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn. God, that's amazing. All right, on to Penn State. Try uh, take number two on Penn State. On to Penn State. Okay. Uh, so Sean Clifford. Okay. The fourth year starting quarterback. Super senior. Yeah. Um. They had the 118th ranked passing or uh, running game last year, and a terrible offensive line. Okay. Is Sean Clifford enough of a quarterback, and I mean dynamic enough, to elevate that record with what he's got going against him on that offense? Absolutely. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I think Sean Clifford's a great quarterback. Um, here's, here's where I think a lot of their problems happened last year. Uh, I, I go back to a specific game. Um, and time of the season. This specific game also happened on the same day. Uh, Nebraska played in a game that I thought could have turned around their season as well. Same day, Nebraska loses to Michigan at home. Penn State is on the road at Iowa. I believe they're both top 10 at that point. And Sean Clifford actually goes down in that game with, if I remember right, Penn State had the lead. Um, Neither quarterback was playing great at that point, but Sean Clifford his mobility played a major factor. A uh, couple of that with, you know, I think, again, I think you lose a critical game that could have flipped your season. I don't know that we are not giving enough credit to the whole James Franklin to USC uh, discussion that was happening at that time. I know several times James, James Franklin came out and said, I'm here at Penn State. I want to stay at Penn State, things along those lines. But even when he was saying it, I was never sold on it. Were you? No, that that's actually a, a question I wanted to ask you. Do you think that if I gave you on a scale 1 to 100, what were the chances that he went to USC? What, what was the heat on that? At the time, I would have said, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30 in there. See, I thought it was even higher than that. I thought it was 80% he was going. Just because I... But hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back, I don't think he wanted it at all. No, no. His agent did a great job of getting him paid. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a great smokescreen put on by the agent. At 100%. Uh, it just... Yes, James Franklin got paid, but it hurt his team. And, you know, I... I don't have a strong opinion either way on James Franklin. Uh, 
he is the least uh, polarizing coach in in the big. I would say he's up there at least. I don't have a strong opinion, but I I would say most coaches would rather their team focus on the season and not worrying about if their coach is going to be announced the head coach of a new program before the end of a game. Yeah, I guess my the kind of way I would describe Franklin is I would say he's an elite recruiter and he's mediocre at his in-game uh, adjustments. That's that's kind of the way I, I can describe him because Penn State, even coming off a, a not great record, they're still getting elite guys that want to play in Happy Valley. Um, I think James Franklin has done enough to still make that a desirable place to play. I do feel like that magic can run out, though. He, he's got to – I think this season he's got to kind of put it all together and show something. I think part of his recruiting prowess is he gets to show two very high-level – and there's more than these two guys, but there are two very high-level offensive players that have played under him in the NFL right now in Chris Godwin and Saquon Barkley. I think that's helping his recruiting a ton, and if he's not hanging his hat on those two guys, he's not doing his job right. Uh, I wish Nebraska would have done it more with Sue after he left. I wish we would have just held up a picture of him in every room that we went on the recruiting trail and said, hey, you want to be this guy? He came to play for somebody else and almost left until I showed up and became a Heisman finalist on the defensive line and a first-round pick. Uh, I think Sean Clifford's a great quarterback. I've already said that. Um, You know, James Franklin... Other than, you know, the last year Barkley was there and the guy who followed him up, he hasn't seemed terribly committed to the run, which is why their running game has been so bad. They do just enough to keep you concerned about it. My my question is, is that defense ever going to pick up? It's Miles Sanders, by the way. Put some respect on that man's name, the one that followed Barkley. He's an eagle, so that's the only reason I want to stick up for him. I'm just going to let that one slide. It's okay. It's fine. I just want to make sure that you knew his name. Um, Well, they just lost their defensive coordinator to be the head coach at Virginia Tech. So Brent Ply, I believe was his name, uh, who was pretty good for him. That's tough, though. Uh, It's it's not for a lack of elite recruiting because that's there. Everybody, the recruiting area in, in Pennsylvania is so fertile, and then you've got uh, Ohio just just to the uh, side of you as well, and really that whole northeast area. I do feel like that defense will improve this year, and I think the offense will take a step back. Okay. Uh, can you explain to me why the offense is taking a step back when you have your super senior? I haven't really been sold on Clifford's the last two years. Um, he has over eight thousand yards of total offense in three years as a starter. Okay, that's 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 fine. That's about twenty seven hundred yards a year. At Penn State, it's it's not like you're lacking talent and you're not in a super conservative offense. I mean, I don't think you're giving the guy enough credit. He he did have a down year last year. Absolutely, I don't think you he's. Know. I don't think he's is dynamic as as you're making him out to be i think he's kind of a run-of-the-mill guy i don't think he's anything special 
I, I don't I don't think he's by far at any in any way elite as a runner. I don't think he's elite as a passer either, though. I think he's pretty pretty good. I mean, I hate to do this, but would you rather have had him or Adrian Martinez throwing the ball? Because I know where you stand on, on our guy. Uh, that's a great question. Also, for the record, Zach has been very vocal that Chuppa Purdy is the start of this year. That has just been announced incorrect. Well, he still took first team snaps, so um, I guess I hindsight being what it is, I would have I I'll go Clifford, but that's not saying much. I I don't want to throw dirt on the guy that just took off or anything. Like uh, that, I but. I love Adrian Martinez. I, but as I'm just passer, trying to I'm trying to figure out where where you're at in, in this debate so so I can have the conversation. I I just I that, think both are bottom half of the Big Ten quarterbacks. I think you're wrong. I, who are you putting over him? Are you putting Spencer Petras over him? I do. I I liked Petras. Uh, the last few years have just been too up and down. Um, Stroud's obviously over him. McNamara's over him. Or I'd even put JJ over him. Um, I think Michigan has two of the best three quarterbacks in the conference. Yep, and I'm just kind of putting them on the same level, so I don't. I'm not going to put them both. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's Stroud, McNamara, or JJ McCarthy, whoever. Yeah, starts whoever over you're going to put in there, um, and then it's a race for fourth. Gosh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll put Morgan up there. I think Morgan's a better quarterback than him at uh, Minnesota. I, I like Morgan. I don't. I don't know that he's better Aiden than O'Connell either of them. I at Purdue. I would not put Aiden O'Connell over them. Really? No. I think he's 100% a scheme guy. I, well, I kind of think the same about Clifford. He's just not very good at doing the scheme. <laughs> okay, so. We, let, let, let's move on. I, I we're, got, we're, not, did, we're not going to figure out this quarterback debate. No, I just got one, just one more question about him. So they went 7-6 and six last year, but this year they've got to go to Auburn, to Michigan, and they get Ohio State and Michigan State at home. Okay. Do you think, based upon what you said about Clifford, I, I believe you think that they will, but do you think they improve on that 7-6 and six record? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, I think they're, they're a lot closer to where they've been in, in the 8-4 range. I mean, you're 7-5 and five regular season. Um, Clifford battled some injuries off and on last year. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go down the, rough, the schedule right now and tell you what I think happens. Uh, I think Purdue-Penn State is a toss-up game just because it's so early, but I I do lean Penn State. Purdue doesn't surprise me, so I'm going to leave that off the list. They better beat Ohio. Uh, Auburn has not impressed me the last two years. They're, they're hot and cold. I'm going to throw that as another toss-up. Then I think they obviously get Central Michigan. I think they get Northwestern. I think they get Minnesota this year. Again, another toss-up. They lose to Ohio State. They lose to Michigan. I think they get Indiana. I think they get Maryland. They better get Rutgers. And I think they get Michigan State this year because I think Michigan State takes a step back. So that's, what, seven wins right there with three toss-ups? Yeah. I mean, that would be in the area of where Penn State has been. So, um, yeah, I got to look at their schedule. I just I think they kind of got a little bit of a meat grinder there with with those games. So um, we're going to take another quick break here. When we return – the Church of the Corn on 1620 will break down the hall or the headlines of fall camp. 
It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn. Brought to you by Rocky Stone Design and FCC Trucking. No, not everyone has to like it to be the best. <laughs> that was okay. That was pretty good. I like that one. That's the uh, one I've been waiting for. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, speaking of not the best, but some people may like it, let's talk about fall camp. Um, your boy, Casey Thompson, is getting the, well, he's a starter. Let's just call it what it is. Um, Purdy got some snaps with the first team as well. I, I don't really think there's a story there at all. I think it's good. You want your backup quarterback to be familiar with that first team offense. You want it to be a story though. You don't think it's there, but you want it to be. No, I don't think it's a story at all. Um, after kind of the things we've heard in camp and just the things you've seen with Thompson, the writing is on the wall that, that Thompson's going to be the guy. And honestly, at the end of the day, yeah, I've said many a time, I think it's going to be Purdy. I don't care who's the starter. I just want a guy that can get out there, minimize turnovers, and win games at the end of the day. It, I mean, as a fan, that's all you want. Yep. Um, but with that being said, um, you've said before you think it's more of a competition for quarterback number two, right? Absolutely. And no slight. At Casey Thompson because I think he's a great quarterback, but I I I think Chuba Purdy has a little bit higher upside. I'm with you on that. Uh, but in an in a year where it is win or die essentially for the staff is kind of what we all think, right? Win win or get out at this point. You have to go with experience. Yeah. Um. And and I think we're seeing that kind of all over the board with the massive amount of transfers that they've got coming in. Now you're seeing a lack of experience in some places, like on the D line at some spots, and a massive experience at other spots. So mm-hmm. you've got a win who's not experienced, and you've got an O'Shawn Mathis who was a all Big Twelve caliber player. Exactly. So you're getting a good mix of of things, and you're really kind of hoping everything meshes up at, in a quick amount of time. And with with that Ireland game coming up, and it, it'll be here in I two think weeks from today, 14 days. Yeah. So are you nervous on what you're going to see with that offense? No. And, and it's because I think that let's call it what it is that that should be a tune up game for the amount of talent we have on this roster. That should just be a tune up game um, and tune up games go when you are far superior, tune-up games go one of two ways, really. And, and they both kind of tie together. You're relatively vanilla. You're not putting a lot on film. But you might throw out a trick play or two to make your next big opponent kind of look at it. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think this offense is going to be very vanilla. You are going to see the, the general scheme. Like, you're going you're gonna to see what kind of route trees they're going to run on pass plays. You're going to see what kind of run scheme we have because, you know, we don't, we still don't really know what the scheme is. We don't know if it's going to be zone run if, or, or anything like that counter trap. We, we, we don't, we're not totally familiar because Whipple has said he's kind of trying to mesh the two offenses. You know, you were tweeting about it this week and one of the hype videos, we saw an option pitch, which I'm pretty sure Whipple has never ran anywhere. He's been so, they knew the cameras were on. Yeah. They're smart enough to know that much. 
RTB guy is so excited about this. I, are you okay? Okay, so let's say that that offense stalls for the first quarter. Are you okay with that because that defense can be so good? Absolutely not. Uh, I think for this season to get off on the right foot, you. I think you have to go score a touchdown on the very first drive. Uh, if you don't, you get three drives, put one in the end zone. Otherwise, you have to start rotating some guys in and make it work. Like, I, I'm a firm believer in this. It, you know, the last three years I've been a, I've been a huge Adrian supporter, but there were times where I was beside myself yelling, "Sit him down for a series, sit him down for a series or a quarter." Guys have to fight for their jobs, and if you're not performing on game day, let alone in practice, you're gonna have to get pulled. And I finally feel like the staff is willing to do that. So, and because they're willing to do that and they've made that clear to these players, I think you're going to see much better starts. Uh, speaking of sitting down, uh, Devin Drew, the transfer, finally arrived on campus. I believe it was Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, earlier this week. Um, he is finally going to be allowed to go full pads tomorrow, Sunday. Um, and the Ireland game, obviously, 14 days away. What are you expecting out of him in Ireland? Are you expecting a – obviously, he's going to be on a snap count, but are you expecting five snaps, 20 snaps, 100 snaps? What are you kind of expecting out of him week one? I think it, it kind of depends on, on how the game goes on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's going to get – I I think if it's a route, he gets a few more snaps just because, A, you're trying to build that conditioning quickly, but, B – if that game gets out of hand, like I think it can, you're almost using that as, as another practice for him in a way, like because he hasn't been there. Now, I'm sure he's had the playbook and he's had meetings with the coaches via Zoom or Skype or whatever and trying to learn the scheme and his role, but there's no substitution for live repetitions. Game reps are even better than practice reps. I don't care what anybody says. You know, it, there's totally a huge difference between playing it in front of a few media members and the guys that you share a locker room with. When you go sit in front, go play in front of 20 plus thousand fans, things change a little bit. So I, I think he's probably in the 20 to 30 snap count range. If, if we, if we pull away early and we use it as kind of a, a training session for him. Yeah. I think he's probably going to be in maybe the 10, 10 snap range. I don't think we're going to get too much out of him. Um, I think one of the things I love about Shenandra as a coach is he embraced that. Yeah, he's coming on late. He's not going to be as big of the game plan as we want him to be, but we've got our GAs work with him. As soon as he gets on campus, we've got this team dedicated to work with him to get him up to speed. I think that right there proves that that culture and that defensive room is so good because of the man up top. Absolutely. Um, I think that defense is going to take a little bit of a step forward this year. Um, they were very good last year. I've been teetering on this, but I think they take that step to be an elite this year. I think they jump top 15. Okay. Um, I don't know that we're there yet. I, I'm, I, the defensive line is going to be much improved. Uh, but I'm still waiting to see mode on the entire defense especially as we kind of change schemes. So I, I think we're going to be very good on defense. Uh, I think we're going to be a little bit better than last year, hopefully, or at least maintain that. 
I don't know if we get to elite yet unless we get the ability to force and cause turnovers. As PJ Flex said, elite. So when we return, we are going to break down our top four coaches on the Nebraska coaching staff on Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone, brought to you by Rocky Stone and Design and FCC Trucking. Let's go ahead and talk about the coaching staff down in Lincoln and where we kind of rank them. Now, my thought here was we've got the existing, you know, the previous coaching staff and then the new hires as well. And since we all suck at making lists, I figure I'd have to say this part. Let's start at the last one. So let's start out at number four here. And since Fitz isn't with us, I'll give his number four, which is Mickey Joseph. Surprise, he's got him that low. But, terrible, Ronnie. Uh, Make that a drop. Just terrible, terrible, terrible. I, I actually, I, I'll i go with mine as well because it's the same one. Uh, I, I thought I had fit Joseph higher than this, but I've got him at number four as well. Okay. Um, I'm going with him for the recruiting standpoint is is phenomenal. Um I think as soon as he stepped on campus, he just vaulted himself up there anyway, just with his experience uh, and what he brings to the coaching staff as far as just everything he can do for him. Yeah, my number four is Bill Bush. Um, he He's a great recruiter. He is taking over the four groups that are probably need need the biggest turnaround the fastest in all four areas of special teams, punt return, kick return, punt field goals whatever kick off uh some i guess there's five i don't know uh long story short i he's been very good at the, in that role and every role he's ever held in coaching he can recruit at a very high level uh his ability to to kind of handle all of that to me puts him at the top uh, towards the top not at the top do you think his uh, acumen coaching in the nfl um helps him at the college game I think it does more today than it has in the past. Uh, now with players making money, you you have to change your approach to these kids, I think, in a way. Um, not necessarily in Nebraska, but at some schools, depending on the NIL deal, kid might actually make more money than coach, similar to the NFL. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think, I think his NFL pedigree helps out a ton in this new era of football. And I think you're going to start seeing more NFL guys have immediate success with their entire teams or their position groups as they, as some of them fall back into the college ranks. Yeah. I kind of felt like schematically the game in the college and pro is, is, is meshing. And it's kind of weird to watch because you're seeing so many concepts go from the college game to the pro game. Mm -hmm. It's cool to see because we were always told that you can't do that. It's got to be line up in a pro style formation and the eye and do this. And you can only do this where it's no, you can get that, that, you know, motion coming out of the backfield and different things like that. Yeah. And you know, I think one thing that you, that you see in the NFL changing and, you know, it's been a slow change because there's been some great guys who have done it is the way quarterback is handled in the NFL. Um, Michael Vick was an elite athlete playing quarterback in the NFL. 
Russell Wilson is one one of the most mobile guys in the league and throws probably the best deep ball in the league. I think he he's one of the guys that's got that elite arm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Baker Mayfield's okay. You have Kyler Murray who is hot and cold, but guys like that are kind of changing the outlook of the league. And you, you know, Cliff Kingsbury is going coaching the NFL now. And he didn't work out in college, but he's running virtually the same exact system. Yep, running the air raid. Yeah, so I think I you're absolutely right. I think the NFL game is kind of shifting to to what they're seeing work at the college level because let's let's call it what it is at this point. College football, Division One, Power Five football is basically the NFL developmental league. Yeah, it's a feeder league at this point. Yep, and if you see guys excelling doing this stuff in college, granted the NFL. Everybody's the best player on on their college team for the most part. At, you're you're gonna try some of these things that work and make. And if you're going after these quarterbacks specifically, you're gonna go with what they know, what they're comfortable with. Yep. Well, speaking of quarterbacks in the NFL, let's go to Fitz's next one, which is Mark Whipple, uh, who was a formerly a quarterback coach uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and coach Ben Roethlisberger for a few years. Um, been all over the place in in college and everything from OC to QB coach to head coach and everything in between. Um, I think, you know, Whipple is a phenomenal coach. Um, his track record kind of speaks for itself and what he was able to do with Pickett last year, who in four years previous to 38 touchdowns and last year alone through 42. So uh, single-handedly turned that guy into an NFL quarterback, I believe. And, you know, J- Jordan Addison over there at mm-hmm. the Bolitnikoff uh, wide receiver helps as well. So um, that's Fitz's number three was Whipple. I went with uh, Travis Fisher. Uh, developmental-wise, the dude is just – he's cranking out NFL guys. He's getting them to the league. He's coaching guys up. Um he tells guys, I'm going to recruit over you. I want you to be better. I'm going to keep recruiting over you. And he, and he has. Um, he's got that attitude that you want to see out of your DBs. Constant production on the recruiting trail. I mean, the dude just, just kills it. I thought last year, I think it was last year, he was going to Georgia because um, Georgia had that opening. I was, first, I was thinking he was gone, really hoping we could have kept him, and thank God we did. Yeah, absolutely. I I love Coach Fisher. Uh, he he's great. I so I'm I'm gonna preface this with I don't have Mark Whipple on my list, and I really want to put him on this list. I I made my list for long term outlook. I I'm imagining everything goes great and everything works this year, and this staff stays around long term. At Whipple's age, I don't know that he's around long term. Yeah, so I think this might be his last his last go around. Yeah, I think he's a two to three year guy probably. Uh. I'm going with Chins at number three, and you can make an argument that Coach Shenander should be much higher. Uh, what he's been able to do with that defense and keep us in games when the offense has been really bad and that defense spends a tremendous amount of time on the field is nothing short of spectacular the last year. Uh, I think now he's starting to get some more pieces to make that defense better. He's changing the scheme a little bit to make it a little bit better. I think the three, four would have worked great, uh, better than it did last year. If the offense was able to sustain drives, um, but he's kind of shifting to mesh the three, four with 
with a traditional 4-3 or even a 5-2, depending on what, what he really wants to do and get creative, just because of the style of play in the Big Ten. Um, he He's one of the guys that shows that he's most willing to adapt, and I think that is great for longevity. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite quotes from uh, Chenander when they asked him. They said, you know, you've got O'Shawn Mathis. Uh, you've got a Garrett Nelson. You've got a Jamari Butler. You've got a Blaze Gunderson. You've got all these guys. Can you get them all on the field? He goes, huh. you know, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good problem to have. That That's my job is to get those guys on the field. So I think he's one of those guys that's going to utilize his his pieces um, and, and move schematically as, as he sees fit. He's not going to square peg round hole it right. like we've seen done in the past. And, and I think that's why that defense is constantly taking a step up every single year. And let's not forget when Shenander was brought up here that first year, everybody wanted to run Shenander out of town. Yeah, nope. absolutely. Everyone said there's no way this guy's going to work up here. He gave up X amount of points a game because everybody in that league ran the same style of offense, and it was run and gun all the time. Uh, his job was basically to slow down the other offense and come up with a big turnover late in the game. And they Hold did them that to consistently. 49 so we can score 50. It, that's all he had to do there. And he was very good at it. They went 12-0 and 0 for a reason. Yeah, it's uh, Chenander, you know, it, you could make the argument that he's the best coach that Scott Frost has hired or brought with him thus far based upon it, based upon his proven track record and the guys he's developed and the what he's put on 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 the field for Nebraska. Now, potentially there are other guys that I think could step over him, but um yeah, I've I've got uh, let's see, let's go to Fitz here. He's got Beckton at number 2. Um, for development and recruiting. That tight end room is interesting, isn't it? It is. Um, it's been the best room on the offensive side of the ball, um, both in terms of recruiting and production for the most part since that since that whole UCF stuff came over. Uh, I love what Becton does. Uh, it's, you know, I don't want to talk about too much about the guys who, who got let go last year, but he seemed to be the only offensive guy that was willing to call out guys when things were wrong immediately and and coach the game the way it was supposed to be coaching nothing against the other guys uh he doesn't seem like he cares about being best friends with his players he wants to make them better and make them achieve their goals which is one of the most important things of coaching yeah i think that bond that he's developed with those players and just the willingness of of those guys to go out there and put it on the field for him every coach or every um, practice and in and, and play says something. And, and I mean, you've seen it where, it, you know, you know, he had an Austin Allen come from really a underdeveloped prospect into an NFL guy mm-hmm. and, you know, playing with the giants right now. Yeah. Um, honestly, this off season, depending what they did before the Mickey Joseph hire, what I wanted and I was pretty vocal about this was you take that wide receiver room, that tight end room, because for the most part in this offense, you're asking him to do a lot of the same things. Mesh those rooms together under Becton and let Becton run both rooms. Yeah, I, you know, that you and I were both kind of on that same page because we weren't exactly sure where we were going to go with the defensive side of the ball at that time. Uh, I always thought it was kind of weird that we had two linebacker rooms, too. Uh, but I thought that's kind of what we wanted to stay with, and everybody was very vocal about needing, uh, needing a special teams coordinator. So I was right there with you. I was like, 
the best thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do is make your OC and your quarterback coach the same and either mesh your wide receivers and running backs or your wide receiver and tight end. I was right there with you. Uh, I I think they navigated it better than than we wanted them to. I, I love every hire that they made. I know Raul has been was an under publicized, underappreciated, and you know to an extent an underwhelming hire. But I think he was the perfect hire. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a guy that obviously the season's going to hinge on his development of that um, offensive line. And I actually didn't have him on here just because I don't think I don't have him on here either. Yeah, I, I just his track record is very it's bare. underwhelming. It, it's bare. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can't put that on there. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to break down our top two coaches on the top four. Now back to Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn on 1620 The Zone. Brought to you by Rocky Stone Design and FCC Trucking. Let's go ahead and put a bow on this. We've got our last two coaches. I gave Fitz as number two. Drake, you want to go with your two or you want me to? Did you give Fitz as number two? I thought we got stuck on my number two. Yeah, no, we went with Becton for uh, Fitz. Okay, yeah, I'll go. Uh, my my number two is Coach Applewhite. Uh, I know I said at the beginning of this, I was basing mine off of long term. I don't know that Applewhite's here long term, but let's let's be honest. Running back has been kind of s- pretty down here since we lost. You know the trio of Halu, Abdullah, and Burkhead, um, and we've had some great running backs here. Braylon Hurd was pretty good. Um, Divino Zigbo's in the league now. Wondell Robinson, wide receiver, not a running back. <laughs> Duck R. Uh, and by all accounts, this offseason, Applewhite has changed the mentality in that room, and we should just expect more production. Do you um, fear Ramir? And he's got some pretty elite talent. Do I fear Ramir? Do you fear Ramir this year? Man, I I feel bad for the kid. I I once again, I think he's going to be left out in the cold in the true running back role. It sounds like he's kind of been converted to that duck R. I don't know what that means under Whipple, to be completely honest. I I don't know how they find a way to use the quote-unquote duck R. Well, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a quote from Sipple earlier this week, and it was a really simple quote. It was, they, I believe it was Damon and uh, Gary brought up uh, Ramir, or Ramir. However, however, Sip says I forget. In which day did uh, they do this because they were out all week? Uh, this was the week before. Excuse okay. me. Sorry. Um, and uh, he said, you know, essentially it's get him the ball any way possible. Running, receiving, returning. Get him the ball any way possible. I think the more you can line that kid up anywhere on the field, the better that offense can be because it gives you one more dynamic threat of having him on the field. Okay. So I, I'm going to push back a little bit. I know we won't, don't want to dive into this. But if Anthony Grant has already been kind of pointed out as our starting kick return, where's Ramir going to return the ball? Do you think he's our punt returner? I mean, you, you do have two people back there on that kick return. I know Wine Masters uh, also been back there with Grant. But if you can get Grant and Ramir back there, why not? I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I love Ramir. We we interviewed him on the podcast. I've, I've been one of his biggest fans since he's got here. I think he has great talent. 
you have a guy that was a pretty good kick and punt returner in the SEC and Trey Palmer. I don't know that you can leave him out because he has game-changing speed. Yeah, I think you put him on punt return. I just I I think he's a better kick returner personally than he is a punt returner. I think you can rotate the three guys. I don't I don't think you have to just stick. Yeah, I don't think one's um, left out in the cold there, but I feel like having two running I, backs back there at kick return. I just I feel like for whatever reason the writing is kind of on the wall that that Ramirez is going to get left out in the cold in the offensive system. I think they're going to find a way to get him touches and I think he's going to when he's on the field he's going to be important. I I just and I feel so bad I I think he's one of the better players on the team. Uh I just think some of I don't know that physical limitations is the right word. I just don't know if there's a great fit for him anywhere because of his versatility. So I'm going to give you a number here. If I said on the season, let's see, it'd be, if I gave you 600 yards, would you go over, over or under total yards for Ramirez? Um, I'd go over because he was pretty close to that last year on a pretty bad team. Ah, I think I got to take the under, actually. I talked myself out of it. Just because there's such a big infusion of talent, uh, I think he's. I I personally think he should be an eight to ten touch guy a game minimum. But I also feel like there's a ton of guys on that team that should be eight to ten touches. Uh, you have several receivers that I think need to be, you know, five to seven targets a game, and there, and unless this offense can turn into the 2018 UCF or 2017 UCF Scott's second year there. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get enough plays off to, to get all the touches around that you need or, or that guys deserve, not that you need, because I, I think we're going to be pretty good this year. And there's just some guys that aren't going to get the touches that they necessarily deserve on a game by game basis. I think you're, I think you're going to have a lot of guys that go, Big game, little game, low game. Big game, low game. Well, and and just bringing that up, since we're kind of bouncing around with receivers and running backs, Marcus Washington has really started popping in camp, working with um, Thompson, already having that familiarity from Texas. Um, it's interesting to see his name starting to vault its way up the depth chart. You remember who I put at number one at wide receiver last week? No, because I don't listen to you most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I like I, I've said, Marcus Washington has an un, kind of a – an un not necessarily an unfair advantage, but he has a leg up if he can grasp the playbook because of his familiarity with with Casey Thompson. And, you know, that's two guys come basically coming in together to a brand new team. When the going gets tough, I think Marcus Washington's gonna have to be on the field because I feel like he might end up being the security blanket for uh, Casey Thompson. Yeah, from and now, granted, this was just in practice and watching some checkdown routes. It did look like they had that. It that's like exactly what you're saying. That familiarity, that underneath. Okay, hey, I can check it for five. Which I, I'm glad that they are putting that in the offense because it's something the offense has been missing. You can't just go deep, 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 deep. Oh, nobody's here. Quarterback scramble. That that offense doesn't work. Uh, yeah, no, I think Casey Thompson and Marcus Washington. I think they're gonna have kind of a thing when. When the offensive line comes up to the line of scrimmage, they're both going to look at the coverage on uh, for the, both the entire defense, but specifically who's covering Marcus Washington. And if it's a, you know, a third and four, 
they're just going to look at each other and know what Marcus Washington is going to run. I see Marcus Washington being the guy who gets the most choice routes out of that offense where he gets the opportunity to make his decision. That familiarity reading the coverage. Yep. And because him and Thompson have kind of seen everything together, uh, that and that I think that's a great idea. I think that's the guy it should be. Who's your number two coach? Uh, my number two, I went with uh, Chenander. Um, this kind of the reasons that we had already spoken about. I think he's well on the way of being um, an elite defensive coordinator. I don't think he's there yet. Um, with the development, the program, the ability to have a pretty consistent defense across the board. Uh, and let's be honest, last year, defense that held that team in games for 99% of the game. And every defense is going to have a little bit of a break in the coverage eventually. Um I think they take that next step forward, as I was saying earlier, to be in top 15, getting Chenander to that elite yeah. coach status. And we've kind of talked about this a lot, too. Uh, I think the move, uh, watching the highlights or replay of uh, Green Bay and San Francisco last night, Samari Torre just had a great catch. Um, I think Chenander's decision, I, I don't know that it's necessarily his decision, but he's the top. he's the top on that defense. I think his decision to move the edge rushers into the same room with the defensive linemen is going to be key. I also love I, – I've said this since he's been here, I, again, because I thought the fact that we had two linebacker rooms was the weirdest thing, but it's worked, and we still kind of do have two linebacker rooms. I think him taking over one of the linebacker rooms is great. He played linebacker at, at Iowa, I believe. Uh and I've said that since he's been here. I thought that was should have been a move a while ago. That was one of my possible solutions when we were going through the co- the staff changes and how we, you know, get a special teams coordinator on the field because you can only have X Y Z amount of assistance. Uh, I I love the small changes that the defensive side of the ball has made and how they're breaking up the position groups and and everything. So uh, I love that pick at number two. You want to go ahead and give me your uh, number one? Yeah, my number one is Mickey Joseph. Uh, I know I said at the top of this, again, based on longevity, uh, my top two have nothing to do with longevity because I I think it all does work this year. But let's say it doesn't and things go south. Associate head coach, I, be- I believe, and I believe since that decision was made that if things do go south and – you know, Scott gets the axe. I think it's. It, I think there's one of two ways that this goes. Or I guess there's three possible solutions. You hire Chins as the head coach, and and you do everything you can to keep Mickey. You hire Mickey as the head coach, and you do everything you can to keep the pieces that work on that staff. Or Whipple becomes head coach, and Mickey goes to offensive coordinator. But let let's be honest. Mickey is the best recruiter on that staff. And what's the fastest way to make your team better? recruit at an elite level and he can do that uh i think you no matter what happens at the end of this year you have to do whatever you can to keep mickey joseph on the staff yeah i've long thought that uh mickey joseph was brought in to learn from coach whipple uh and once coach whipple retires the offensive coordinator spot will go to mickey sands everything going going good um if not then other plans may be in place but um, Fitz has Fisher at number one. 
recruiting and development. Um, it's easy to see why he has Fisher number one, the guys he's put into the league as of late. Well, is that the best room in, on, on the team, would you say? Uh, Talent-wise, yeah, you almost have to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think our wide receiver room is pretty loaded, but it hasn't been developed, and they haven't put out the production that I, you know, I granted last year we had a lot of guys that had that were there for year four or five, couple that were there for six on the, in that DB room. But that DB room is very good. Um, granted, yeah. you know it's raw talent, but they're they're very good. Uh, and Smith and Jigba kind of tore us up, but that's kind of the only one that I remember really getting after us in the DB room last year. I think Olave got on a big on a big play, but other than that, yeah, it was it was pretty far in between. Yeah, it it was not what what Smith and Jigba did. Um, but when you have three elite wide receivers. Uh, like Ohio State does, they probably have eight of them. Uh, I, you know, their entire wide receiver room can go to the NFL at any minute. Uh, and CJ Stroud is a great quarterback. That kind of happens once in a while, so I'm not surprised. And you know, let's call it what we we shouldn't have even been able to get that game to to a nine point difference, um, by by any means. Yep. Um. Uh, just real quick, I got Coach Becton number one. We kind of already broke down why I've got him there, but I love Becton. Becton's. Yeah, I, he was. He's just a phenomenal coach. I'm. I'm glad to see he was retained and uh, is getting a bigger piece of the offense. We're going to take another quick break here. When we return, we'll be joined by On Three's own very, very own Brian Munson to talk recruiting here on sixteen twenty the zone. You're listening to Church of the Corn on sixteen twenty the zone. Welcome back to Church of the Corn, brought to you by Rocky Stone and Design and FCC Trucking. We are now joined by On3's very own Brian Munson to help us get up to date on the world of recruiting. Brian, how are you, sir? Good morning, guys. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. You watch any new Netflix documentaries this morning? No, but you know what? So um, I did watch a couple a couple of things this last week, but I was just flipping through. My wife just walked in here. I'm usually a, like a, a Premier League kind of guy on Saturday mornings. Like I'll get up and I know there's not a lot of people out there that like to watch soccer and but Premier League is, is really interesting to me because those guys are great athletes and they play soccer like I play darts. Like they can they can kick a ball forty yards in the air and put it at a guy's feet and I'd be lucky to kick it forty feet and have it go in the same direction. So I But you're throwing darts at forty yards it sounds like apparently <laughs> right, right, right. But I, but I admire it. It's like watching professional golf. I can't do that. Those those dudes can. That is really impressive. But this morning, funny enough, I like put them through and Manchester City's on, and and uh, I kind of flipped away for a second to see what else is on. And Wolf of Wall Street's kicking off at 9.30, and I'm going, I'm not sure if this is like the show that I would like flipping around for Muppet Babies or for a you know, <laughs> caveman with what, my, with what my child would like land on, you know? So I'm going... I'm a little conflicted at the moment, but I love the movie, so uh, I'm going to go back to watching this movie as soon as we get off the air here. So it, it's funny. I, I'm going to ask this. I had a couple of off-topic questions for you to start, but I like the way this is going. I helped my parents <laughs> switch over to YouTube TV this week. Um, oh, yeah. Their packages are pretty impressive. Do, are you a YouTube TV guy who, who bought the soccer package? I am a Fubo dude and get the uh, I get the sports package there, which gets me a few extra 
a few extra channels that, that put soccer games. Oh, okay. I, I'm not telling you to switch. Check out the YouTube TV package. I When I was looking through the channels, I was amazed. I, I'm not huge on watching the SEC or ACC network during football season, but right. knowing that they have the ACC network during basketball season uh, really made my day. Uh, well, and it's a couple of those extra channels that it's almost got me thinking about like mounting a couple of smaller televisions above the big one because it's like I don't think between having a kid that's playing at Carney and having to put that on the browser and watching that on the browser whenever they're on and I can't travel up there. Yeah. Uh, and then running like SEC and Big Ten and, and Pac-12 and, you know, trying to watch a couple extra things, it gets tough. I actually wheel a, foot, a 55-inch TV in and out of the house. I got it like on a stand that we like go outside and watch it on the patio or I'll wheel it into the house and watch it, watch it in the house next to the other television set. So that's the get-up right now on Saturday, but I've been threatening to mount a couple extra televisions above the other one in the back living room. Well, you know what? <laughs> I will I will come down to the, come down to you and help you out as long as you take me out for some good barbecue. Uh, oh, we got that. We got that down here. I, I know heard. you do. Okay, uh, Zach put out a poll about some mascot fights. Uh, Conrad and I were talking about audio on some terrible, terrible movie audios. Who wins in a mascot fight or stuffed animals? Uh, what's the what's the hockey one? Gritty, gritty, gritty. The Philly fanatic, Big Bird or Alfie? Call him by his government name. It's Alf. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Oh, uh, probably. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with Alf. I think he's got some. I guess I think he's got some secret things going on there. I don't. I'm not a. Look, Big Bird's got the height advantage. I think. And he can fly. He's an emu. Yeah, Emus can't fly. Possible. I, I I think he's got a little. He's a bit seven of a foot pigeon. Let's get it right. He had a big waist. He had a pretty big waist. So I'm going to go ahead and say he doesn't have the athleticism. I'm going to I'm going to go with Al. See, I, Zach and I are kind of in agreement. It it kind of has to be gritty or. Uh, or the Philly fanatic because a you're dealing with some with the Philly fans. I watched them. Uh, Boo Hamels after he gave up a no hitter in the seventh inning once. Uh, yeah, and I've actually seen the Philly fanatic get involved in a fight on accident. So for me, <laughs> well, I'm going he, with the Philly if fanatic. He fight history. If he has fight history and has like a win loss record. I did not take that into a, a account before this, so <laughs> I, that might that might sway my sway my opinion here a little bit. I sold you. See, this is why I work at sales. <laughs> You got me. You got me right. I'm the best mascot fight hype man ever. <laughs> well, I'm going to get us a little bit back on track here. And, and just for just for the record, I was going Alf, too. He's an alien. I think an alien can beat the rest of them. But uh, think, right. he's basically Sesame Street. <laughs> getting us back on track. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about, I, I think, think, think this is still this class. Uh, Sergio Snyder uh, is back on Nebraska's radar. Uh, with an official yep. visit set up for September 16th. With him coming up to campus, do you, are you expecting him uh, a commitment out of him? I'm not, but I think Nebraska wants to keep him warm. Um, I'm not sure there's really a committable offer there at the moment. I, you know, look at what we're talking about when it comes to that room right now and go into the season. You've got a, a, a JUCO, you know, that was added into the roster that's that's probably going to be the starter, you know, with, with the season. you got Johnson and, and Yant and uh, a bunch of other guys back there. But then you also, you know, you bring A.J. Allen in that's probably in that top four, top five. And then Emmett Johnson, you know, Steve Stipple was kind of raving about him too. So 
the, the room is pretty full. So I, I think that what's got to happen there is Nebraska has to understand how things are going to kind of play out this fall. And I'm not talking about on the field necessarily. I'm talking about, you know, who's kind of reading the tea leaves and who's kind of understanding who's got a chance to get on the field and play what kind of role, you know, just straight up not thinking about anything down, you know, like, hey, well, somebody could been out with an injury, whatever. It's, it's really more of a straight up kind of a way of looking at it. Sergio Snyder is a really good running back. Is he a different dude than the rest of the guys in the locker room up there? I'm not sure about that. Um, and I think that that's probably in the back of the minds of the Nebraska staff, too. I think that they would just they would say, look, if we had a difference maker, a guy that we felt like he could come in here and, and do different things with and looked differently than the rest of the running backs and was just a different guy in general, I think absolutely. That could, that could be the guy. It could be a guy that they would be interested in taking. But I think Sergio Snyder's a guy that Nebraska wants to get warm and keep him warm. And then once they kind of figure out how things are going to kind of work out with the rest of the room, you know, after the season, then I think there would be the possibility of kind of adding him in or they would at least have a, a feeling about how things were going to kind of work out in that October, November time frame and be able to take him based on what the actions are that would, would come at this. Brian, I'm, I'm just kind of looking over our offer list and guys that have committed. Um, in the tight end area, Jaden Ham out of Eudora, Kansas, who's committed to Arkansas. Yep. With him being so close to Lincoln, is there any way you can see Nebraska flipping him, or is he 100% a lock for Arkansas? 100% lock in Arkansas. And, and, I'm, and it's a really interesting story because I'm trying to remember what the event was. He came back from an on-campus event in Lincoln, and he had a great time. I remember talking to him in the car as he was driving back to Kansas, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, well, you know, if Nebraska's interested in taking a couple of guys, you know, they got Ham, uh, and, and then, you know, they could go ahead and grab him real quick. And then all of a sudden he kind of comes off the board to Arkansas, and it was so confusing to me. Like, it was it was one of those things that Arkansas really recruited pretty well this season. I think it, that gets kind of lost when, it, when Absolutely. you start talking about the, the teams that are recruiting really well this cycle. Um, they, they've got to be put kind of in that – in that category, because I mean, what you're talking about a, a fairly new staff being stood up, what they're doing there in the SEC. I mean, they, they played, they played really pretty tough last year, lost some heartbreaking games, but, um, but that's a, it, it's a beautiful campus. If you've not been to Fayetteville before, it's unreal. That's an unreal part of the world. Um, but yeah, they are recruiting incredibly well. So it, I don't think, I don't think Cam's out there in the market to where a guy that they could go ahead and, and flip. Uh, but that was definitely an interesting commitment, when he, with, especially with the timing of it. Is there anybody out there that, that you kind of have your eyes on that's committed elsewhere that you think Nebraska has a shot to flip? You know, I really I know, know. that's a I tough mean, question. I'm sorry. I know. Obviously, there's Bo Healy, but we've been talking about Bo Healy now since, like, May and or April. Um, and, I, and I just don't know how much, you know, he's really kind of looking around because he's got a – a considerable, you know, NIL kind of uh, scenario going with, with Georgia. He's been at Nebraska twice. And now also, also some people are talking about him flipping to Auburn. I think Nebraska still feels like there's a, there's a chance there with him. Um, and I don't think that if Lance Hurd decided that he was going to go ahead and commit to LSU here in the coming weeks, that Nebraska would back off of him either. It's kind of one of those similar scenarios with, with A.J. Allen, I think Nebraska just feels like they're really dialed into that part of the world. 
Um, you know, I think it's going to be tough always to get a guy away from Louisiana that's committed to LSU. Uh, it wasn't the same as AJ was committed to TCU and losing the losing his position coach. But I, I think that I don't think there's really a guy out there that's committed elsewhere that Nebraska really has uh, in mind. I what I foresee happening is this: there's there's a few guys still that have taken official visits that remain uncommitted that I think we need to keep an eye on. And I think there's also going to be a couple guys that have not come in yet that obviously are, you know, that, that you should be taking take, uh, be, be, be watching for. Sergio Snyder's one of those guys. Caleb Bryant, who just picked up the USC offer last week, he's another guy. Um, but then I think Nebraska's going to go through that, that month of September, and they're going to want to get through the first three games of the, of the senior season on a couple of these guys and go back and, and re, re-look at their huddle film to see if they could potentially then see them, you know, elevating their game from the season before when they saw them in the spring and see if, if they are guys that they want to go ahead and, and, and get an offer out to. So I, I just think there's a couple of spots where that could happen, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, maybe defensive back, but otherwise uh, I think things are – uh, and maybe running back too, but I think I think I think things are for the most part um, pretty done with the 2023 group. Hey, Munson, I got one quick question for you. Just since you brought these two guys up, Lance Hurd and Hughley, uh, Bo Hughley down from Georgia. Yep. What what percentage would you put on those guys? One or both? Probably not both, but one of those guys flipping to Nebraska. Well, I felt I, I have felt better about Healy before with Nebraska. Um, excuse me, I have felt better about Hurd with Nebraska before this. So in, in the month of probably June, maybe early July, I really felt like Nebraska had, had might have been the leader. Um, and and I think things have kind of since he's gone back home after the official visit, I think things have kind of settled a little bit. And LSU has kind of worked their magic, and he's getting a lot of pressure from around him. I, I think that the chances that they could get one of those guys is maybe at 30, 35%. And I would probably say it was going to be heard. If Nebraska got Huey to me, I think it'd be a fairly significant shocker. I, I just, I feel like he's. I feel like he's a very talented guy. He could walk in, you know, immediately and, and, and push for playing time. But I think, obviously, I think with, with him being from the state of Georgia, there's just kind of the process, I think, that he wants to kind of enjoy before he ultimately just ends up being a dog later on. Beautiful. Well, Brian, uh, we'll let you get going for the weekend. We want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, it was appreciated to catch up on the world of recruiting. Sounds good, guys. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Thanks, Wolf of Wall Street, brother. We'll do it. See ya. Perfect. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, we are going to do something a little different for the last segment. It's Church of the Corn with Zach, Alex, and Fitz on 1620 The Zone. Welcome back to the Church of the Corn here on 1620 The Zone. Usually we do our betting picks right now. But I had a very interesting thought. I thought we had a caller who wanted to call in on this. Caller, if you're out there, call back. We need your take. Uh, I I just had a really random thought that has stuck with me for like the past 24 hours, and it's burning a hole in my brain. And it's who would win That's in not a the only thing burning a hole up there. <laughs> who would win in a no holds barred fight between Alf, Gritty, uh, Big Bird, and the Philly Fanatic? And 
you know, I, I went with Alf. I thought it would be Alf because um, he's an alien. Uh, and I recently learned that the Philly Fanatic has a, uh, a fighting record. I don't know what that fighting record is, but here's the other thing. Here's why I am with either the Philly Fanatic or Gritty. You cannot trust a grown man who works on a kid's show to win in a fight in a costume versus two guys who have to deal with Philly fans. Touche. I guess we have a uh, caller, so let's go ahead and... Uh, if you'd them. like to make a call, please hang up and try again. Already then. Like to make a call. We do not have a caller, so... All right. <laughs> Sorry, um, Eric. Eric, try one more time. Um, Yeah, I just... I don't know. Big Bird's a, a six or seven foot pigeon that can't fly. Um, although I did watch him kick in a door once. I just I don't know. I think I think Alf I think Alf takes it because number one he drinks beer, okay. and number two he eats cats. So for me, I just feel like that dude's not wired right. So do the French. Oh uh, well, yeah, I guess. But like I'm not. They've trusting never won them. a war on their own. I'm not trusting them in a fight. Um, I, All right. We got one. Okay, well, let's go ahead and patch him through now. I just pushed this red button right. I haven't ever brought one in. Oh, he's on. <laughs> Eric, what do you got for us? Hey, the uh, the battle royale with the uh, mascots. Heavy take on this. You know, you've got the two guys from Philly who are going to gang up and destroy Alf and Big Bird right away. You know, Philly's fans stick together. Then, you know, as they're given the high five, that Philly fanatic in true Philly fashion is going to shoot something out of his mouth and just slice much of his throat. Well, you know? and here's the I think I think they're hunting Big Bird. Oh, yeah. That is big game the, at its finest. He's out before the fight even starts. Come on, guys. Yeah. He, he's, he's food. And Alf, you know, Alf eats cats. That, that was it, you know. So he's got nothing. So, all right. So we're down to gritty and Philly fanatic. Who, who, who do you think's winning? And what and is it? It's called Battle of the Titans. Is it Clash of the Titans? There is it by submission or TKO? Oh no! Or it's death. Philly fanatic. It's death. Philly fanatic shoots something out of his mouth with or that nozzle thing that he's got and and takes Munchie out. It's a bloodbath. <laughs> this is chaos, and I and I love it so much. All right, here's all right. Building off of this, Eric, out of all the Big Ten mascots, who wins in that fight? All the Big Ten mascots? Well, if it was old Herbie, it would be hands down Herbie. But, uh, you know. Brown-haired Herbie, not a, not a chance? Yeah, no. I, I, I Tight pants Herbie isn't going to win. I got to go with Sparty. Honestly, he's the tough guy. He's got a sword. He's going to take him out. I, You know, I like that. But these days, I mean, looking ahead to the new Big Ten, I think I got to go with, with USC, the Spartans. Oh, that's a good one. But, but you know, they're UCLA's This is Sparta. Trojans it, it, have failed it, it, many a time. That would just be a so good you know. uh, battle royale right there, actually. But then, you know, UCLA's bringing in a bear, for crying out loud. Who, who wins against a bear? So There's got to be a – I mean, I think Herbie just runs him over with his combine, doesn't he? You know, if again, does if Herbie get a combine in this? No. Why he's a farmer? We'll talk about this one off air. <laughs> Eric, thanks for the yeah. phone call, man. Thanks Absolutely. for listening, buddy. Hey, guys, you bet.
well, so I guess one more question before we get off the air, because I think we're going to be getting off here soon. Do you think you could? Uh, you think you could beat a bear in a fight? Depends what kind of bear. No, I mean, I. All right, a panda bear. You ever seen those things? Not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not beating a bear in a fist fight. I could beat Paddington Bear, hands down. It, I could beat a Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> I could beat Ted. Uh, oh, I don't know if you could beat Ted. Ted fights dirty. Very yeah, true, but so do I. <laughs> that's yeah. All right. And he's little. And that's true. You are six are you, foot eight. Are you beating a bear in a fight, Zach? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, we're putting we're putting you in this same ring that uh Bert Kreischer was in on his TV show when he fought the bear. Yeah, I don't think that one went so well, but I feel like I feel like best case scenario. Like you catch it right on the chin, it's it's going out. I don't think you're getting to the chin. I think you're getting mauled well before then. Um well, you know what? Well, could you beat a shark? Could you, you know, knock or beat a shark shark in a fight? No. I mean, you could. No. You just got to hit, hit punch it in the nose. That's true. And I, then you're done. I think that's a myth, guys. Have you ever seen somebody punch a shark in the nose? Have you? No, because nobody's dumb enough to try it. Uh, I YouTubed it once. All right, pull it up after the show. I don't have to show you anything. All right, folks, you have it. Zach here for Fabricating Stories. Uh, that's what we do best. All right, everybody. Uh, just so you all know, we've got Aaron Williams, former Husker DB, on the podcast tomorrow. So shoot us any questions on Twitter if you've got any uh, for Zach, Conrad, Drake, and Fitz. Thank you guys all so much for joining us today, and uh, have a good weekend, everybody. I hope you really have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.